You've heard that story about why do you've never seen a like a fight, a political fight as juicy or as bloodthirsty as those between two academic professors, two college professors fighting over something as silly as like a parking space for an office. And the reason they always say is why is that always such a bloodthirsty, ruthless kind of political fighting? Is because the stakes are so low. Because in the end, if the stakes are low, who the hell cares? Who cares why? Who cares how? You just fight to fight. You know, you're just bored. Uh, you, you know, any tiny, tiny, tiny morsel of advancement feels like the world because the stakes are so low. Well, here's the trick. There's, there's, a, there's a funny little idea inside that goofy story, and I'm sure I told it poorly, but you know, hey, how you doing? Um, and that's the idea that the it's our instinct when we're doing employer brand is to lower the stakes, to make this feel like, look, it's going to be helpful. It's going to be nice. It's going to be okay. Here's a soft bunny. Pet the soft fur. Isn't it sweet? No, it won't bite you. It's okay. It's just employer brand. And when we focus on that fuzzy bunny soft, this, is e- this can be very straightforward kind of approach to employer brand. We're actually doing ourselves a disservice, not just to ourselves, but to the work itself. And so I want to talk today about one of the ways you can use right now to get things done. And it's counterintuitive. It's not how do you make this seem safe and okay, but how do you raise the stakes? How do you make this feel like if you don't do this and you don't let me do this, things are going to go poorly for you. So let's talk about that in just one second. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, We really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, The construction across the street is pretty brutal. So that's a jackhammer. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, it sure is. So hopefully you can hear past that. Uh, Just so you know, uh, as I said last last time, I'm going to be at HireConf in New York. I think that's October. I'm going to be at RecruitCon in Nashville. I think that's November. Don't hold me to that one. It's in the show notes. You can see me. If you're going to be at one of those two events... Find me. I have a sticker for you. Yes, that's right. A coveted uh, limited edition. I only made a couple of these stickers for the talent cast. It's not true. I made a bunch. Um, but, you know, there not too many are left, so I'm just saying. And, uh, yeah, by the way, if you missed last week's, I signed a contract for a book. So I have to go write. I have to finish writing it. I wrote a draft. I thought I was done. I signed a book contract. I started looking at that draft and went, <laughs> I'm not done. I'm nowhere near done. So I got to get to work. So anyway, uh, let's talk about this. So let, let's start here. This idea that, um, you know, whether it's because a lot of us come from recruiting or the recruiting side of it or an HR side of it, we generally tend to downplay the power, value, and importance of an employer brand. It's a nice to have. It is a vanity thing. It's a thing you do to make yourself feel better about companies. It's a, you know, for why you should, why should people work here? Well, gosh, here's the reason why we're a family. And my voice went really weird, like dolphiny there a second. That's almost intentional. Um, we tend to downplay the power and impact of employer brand. Probably 
because it's hard to measure, probably because there's no obvious, unlike sales where you can point at a big pile of money that says, I made all this money, booyah. You know, you, salespeople can do that and they get away with being brash and being a pain in the ass and being occasionally assholes. But, um, you know, they're sales because they can point to the big pile of money. In HR and recruiting, we can't really point in a big pile of money. And employer brand, more so. We can say, hey, there's a broader sense, more positive sense of why people should work here. It's more clear why people should work here. It's more obvious people understand what the value is to them of working here. People understand why working for us makes their life better. Gee, gee willikers, golly, isn't that wonderful? It's tough. It's tough. So I get it. So instead of being brash about it because no one wants to be an asshole, usually, myself usually included in that statement. No one wants to be an asshole, so we tend to soft play it. We tend to downplay the power and impact of employer brand. The problem is, is when you do that, it's very easy for a lot of horrible things to happen. The first of which is defunding. <laughs> Business had a rough quarter. Hey, that employer brand's not isn't really creating a pile of money, not creating a lot of value. Whoever's running it isn't exactly banging the drum about all the amazing work they're doing. Guess what? Gone. Gone. That's bad. That's really bad. And I don't want that to happen to you. Um, the other thing is that it's easy to kind of ignore. It's easy to kind of skip. Um, when I was working at the other company, the big green G, I think you all know who I'm talking about. Um, once a quarter, we had an all-staff meeting, and it was a big deal. Like The comms team would like shut down for like a month to prep for this meeting. It was a lot of scripting. It was a lot of preparation. It was a lot of what are the talking points? What's going to happen? What are we going to do? A lot, a lot of work. However, it's a huge stage because you knew that if you could get someone on that stage to say something about the employer brand, everyone would hear it. Instant validation, instant authenticity, got it. credibility out the wazoo. That's what you wanted to do. Everybody, however, had the same thought and everybody wanted to be on that stage. And if I, you know, and if I just said, hey, employer brand's really fuzzy bunny, I would have never been considered for that stage. If I step up and say, look, if you don't do this, shit's going to get bad and here's my case why, they would be more inclined to engage with me, right? And at your company, it's different. The stages is different. The opportunities are different. But the more you downplay and the more you soften your employer brand and the power of employer brand, the less likely people are going to point to you and say, get on that stage and go tell us a great story. So maybe the, the strategy here is to raise the stakes. Why is employer brand so damn important? How does it make it super useful? Now, while I'm talking about this, I'm going to throw in this other wrinkle, which I think is really useful because not only should we be raising the stakes for employer brand as a concept, but we should also be setting the stage for you to show that you are the only person who can get the job done, right? If you say this is an incredibly expensive or incredibly important thing and they look at you and go, if this is such a big deal, are we going to place all our all our chips on this person? Well, guess what? They're bringing an agency and that may be valuable and that may be a good way of getting it done. Maybe it's right for you. But do you want to make that decision or do you want to let somebody else make that decision for you? If you go through this process of raising the stakes, you have to, in parallel, show how you are perfectly positioned to actually get this thing done. So you're doing two things. You're saying, this is super important, and I am the expert at doing this thing, right? Now, of course, the complicating matter is you're probably not an expert at getting this thing done. Very few people are. Very few people are. I, some days, don't put myself on that list. <laughs> 
employer brand is complicated and there's I'm even I am learning stuff all the time as I hope you are so con, you know honestly the confidence level despite what this podcast may sound like the confidence level is always a little fuzzy it's always a little rough it's very hard to say nope I'm the expert at this and you should place your trust in me that's a tough ask so let's talk about it so let's talk about first how do you raise the stakes of your employer brand well what I would do is start off by taking your leader on a journey. Now, presumably, you got this job or you were handed this responsibility, and a lot of times it's a recruiter who, hey, 30% of your time should be spent on this employer brand thing that everybody's talking so much about. Here you have fun, and you're kind of in trouble. Step one is taking your leader on a journey. Not just to take them on a journey, but in the hopes that they allow you or support you to take their leader through a journey. Your job is to get in the C-suite meeting whenever that happens every week, every month, whenever your company does it, and have 10 minutes to tell a compelling story, a scary compelling story. What does that look like? Well, gosh, let me show you. Um, I have my notes on a whiteboard across the table, so if I, my, my voice kind of goes away, that's what's happening. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes, which I wrote on the other side of the room because I'm a moron. Um, so here's how you start. You start by going to Google for jobs. I like Google for jobs over Indeed for this process because Indeed has an opportunity for a lot of promotion opportunities. So you can very easily search for a job and have it pop up first and you go, well, gosh, we're ranking number one on that stuff. We're good to go. Done. It doesn't reinforce the scariness of it. It doesn't reinforce the, this is super important. We got to get it right aspect of what we're talking about. Go to Google for jobs. It's a little more of an even platform. It's very hard to promote and elevate. So if you're ranking high, it's because you're doing something right. And chances are you're not. So what I would do is I would take a very hard to fill job, something everybody knows. This is a tough, tough job to fill. This is a tough role to, to focus on and search for it in Google jobs in your general location. Remember, you're showing your boss this and show them, hey, look, here are the hundred other companies looking for exactly this role. And look where we are. We're in this particular instance, we're in the 40s or 50s of all these companies. Um, we effectively look like everybody else. Here, let me show you. Let me look at the job description. And then in multiple tabs, I would do, here's our job posting for this job. And here's the, a, a, a select few of other people ranking in the top 10, their job postings. Now, being smart, you don't leave this to chance. Do your research, do your homework. Figure out which companies are doing this really, 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 really well, who have a really interesting job posting, whether it's a joke, whether it's design, whether they're telling a lot more story, whether they're giving a lot more information, whatever it is, go scare your boss. Show them your deeply mediocre job posting versus their pretty good job posting. Oh my goodness. And say, look, here's the deal. If, and this is the biggest if here, if someone is actually looking to fill this job, someone is actually looking to get a new job in this space, which as we know is unlikely because this is a super highly competitive coveted role, these people do not go into active job seeking mode very often. But if they do, these are the people we absolutely have to have and we're getting crushed by all these other companies because they have better job postings and they're ranking better in Google. 
Fear, 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 fear. That's what you should be doing, stoking the fear. Raise the stakes. This is bad. How can you possibly hope to hire these people? How can you possibly hope to engage these people when they're literally at the chance where they're most likely to engage with us and they can't pick us out of a damn crowd? We look like everybody else, or worse, we look worse than everybody else. They're never going to choose us. Fear, 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 fear. Okay, so having done that, then say, look, let's actually take a few steps. Let's say this amazing unicorn of a person who's looking for this job, they somehow managed to loop us in with these two other companies as potential employer prospects. What happens then? Well, gosh, what would you do? Well, the first thing I do is I go to my Glassdoor reviews. How do they fare? What are the stories being told about us? Now, here's the trick. What happens is most companies build kind of a mental callus over Glassdoor. <coughs> Excuse me. What they do is they get used to the fact that they're at a 3-5 or a 3-4 or a 3-1, <coughs> and they're just kind of... I mean, we know it's not great, but it's okay. It's not okay. A 3-1 is well below average in Glassdoor land. A 3-4 is dead on median. If you have a 3-5, yeah, you're better than some, but you're still at a C-plus level of, you know, ratings, right? You need to, I mean, the problem is we get used to it. We've realized, well, we've done recruiting and our score is pretty bad, so I guess it's not really paying much of a, painting much of a picture. It's not really making an impact. And of course, that's ludicrous. Rating sites, review sites, all this stuff have an impact. It's just not always something you can easily correlate to say, because our score went up, we have more reviews. Because our score went down, we have, or we have more applicants. And because our scores went down, we have fewer applicants. That's not quite clear. What happens is your ratings go down. And so the direct applicants go, well, sure, I'll apply there too. But the great candidates that you want go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So your numbers may be flat. Your numbers may say that you're still getting 50, 60, 100 applicants per rack. But how's the quality look? Glassdoor has an impact. Rating sites have an impact. No question. The problem is we get used to people saying, yeah, this is a place where it's chaotic and nothing, no one ever knows who's in charge. And no, whatever your, you know, whatever the dings and the denigrations are inside your review sites, you get used to it. Your job is to say, don't get used to it. Show them very crystal clearly. Look at your competitors and say, look, when people look at their site, this is what they're seeing. When they look at their reviews, this is what they're seeing. Now compare that to us. Now, I'm going to give you $20 if you can say why anyone in the history of any place ever, of any quality whatsoever, would pick us over them. Go ahead. 20 bucks in my pocket. It's burning a hole. Tell me why. No? Yeah, I'm keeping that money, aren't I? That's the deal. Show them crystal clear why on earth a job seeker would pick us over this other company. And you're going to pick a good one. You're going to pick a great company. Don't go Google. Don't go Facebook. I mean, unless you're Twitter, which, cool. Um, but if you're not, don't go overstating it because that's a chance for them to say, no one's going to Facebook rather than us. That's not a comp competition and they'd be right. You want to maybe aspire to competing with Facebook and Google maybe one day, but today go find people who are looking for the same roles, who are just doing it better, who are telling a more compelling, valuable story. Show it to your boss. Okay. More to the point, you're not so much looking for a cool, creative, sexy job posting or a crazy website. What you're simply doing is looking for an answer to the simple question of why? 
Why choose you? Every time someone applies for your job, they have to spend 5, 10, 30, God help us sometimes, 60 minutes applying for the job. Is it because they have too much free time? Of course not. They think that if they spend the time, the research, they customize their resume, they customize their cover letter, they do whatever they're supposed to be doing, they have a better chance at working for you. There is a ROI, a return on their investment. They give you their time, you give them their consideration, and to them, that consideration is worth it. Now, if you look like a mediocre company relative to these other companies, guess who thinks it's worth it? Mediocre candidates. Great candidates will happily go apply to those other companies and leave you in the dust. You have to the ans answer the question, why work for us? You have to show on our career site, on our job posting, on our glass door, on our social, on our on our on all those other places that there's a clear, compelling, and aligned sense of why. You are in no way trying to get everyone to apply. You're simply saying, how, why would anyone consider working for us? And then double down on saying, why are we different? There isn't a hospital on this planet that says, that doesn't say, we people love to work here because we really care about our patients. Yeah, that's called having a hospital. <laughs> That's quite literally your job is to care for patients. So if you try and create an, a differentiated EVP that's focused on this idea of we care for our patients, best of luck because everyone else does. That's non-differentiating. If you talk about how your tech company is innovative, congratulations, non-differentiating. You have to talk about beyond the table stakes. If you're a hospital, yes. Not only should you just assume that you care about customers, you should just kind of do, yeah, we all, just like everybody else, we really care about our patients. We really care about great healthcare. We really care about make, healing people. Great. How do we do that? This way, because we are collaborative, we're competitive, we are team-based, we are whatever that thing is, if you have to go down a few layers to get your reason why that's differentiating, go down a few layers. You want to, if, here's what you do. You say, look, our hospital says, all it does is say how much we care about our patients. Guess what? Here's the Mayo Clinic, same thing. Here's the Cleveland Clinic, same thing. Here's every single hospital ever, same thing. Do you think anybody's going to apply for us against the Cleveland Clinic or the Mayo Clinic? No, of course not. Not if they're any quality. Stoke the fear, stoke the fear, stoke the fear. Okay, so here's the deal. By now, you've started to raise the stakes. You've started to show that there's been a slow process, a frog in a pot of water, if you will, kind of idea, that they have very, very, very incrementally maybe noticed that the quality of talent has diminished somewhat over the last two or three or four or 10 years, that doing the same things over and over again you're just not hiring the same kinds of people. It's just not quite as good. There's no one thing that happened. There's no one, hey, suddenly everybody sucks. No, it's not like that. It's just that, look, all things being equal, the better competitor rejected an offer. They never applied. They never engaged with you. They never responded to the recruiter. Recruiters are seeing slightly lower levels of engagement. The people they're going after aren't quite as qualified or have quite as much experience or are quite as talented as the people who used to respond to you. This is a problem. The thing is, most of those recruiters and recruiting leaders and hiring managers are micro-focused. That is, they're transactional. How do I fill this rec? How do I fill this job? How do I hire this person? They see things in a micro level. This role, this person, this job, boom, boom, boom. 
and they won't notice, looking at a micro level, the big macro and systematic changes. They won't notice that the quality of talent has diminished. They, won't, they might notice that the number of applicants has gone down or up, but they won't be able to see the talent. They won't notice it. If you're into baseball, and I'm not, but I love Moneyball, so there you go. If you notice in baseball, and by the way, this is more of a Bull Durham thing, if you notice, it's what's the what's the line? One extra hit per week turns you from a deeply mediocre player into a Hall of Famer. When you're taking that many swings every single day, and you're taking that many times at bat every single week, any given swing, it's hard to say if you're doing better or worse. It's hard to say if you're hitting it 30% of the time or 35% of the time because each individual swing, it's impossible to see that. It takes stepping way back and looking at the value across a longitudinal period of time to say, I'm noticing we're getting worse. That's why batting average is such an interesting number because it's not about what are the odds of you hitting that ball this time at, at, at bat or this time at the plate. It's about saying, look, over the last month, you've had a higher batting average than you normally do. What are you doing differently? Any given time of the plate, you might not notice that difference, but only until you see the entire system, until you see the bigger picture, that you notice that something dramatic has changed. Recruiters, recruitment leaders, hiring managers are not equipped to see that very well. They're very transactional. They're trying to put a butt in the seat. They're trying to swing the ball and hit the hit the ball no matter swing the bat and hit the ball no matter what it takes. Right? They don't notice that over time the quality has gone down. They don't notice that over time that things have changed. They don't see things at a macro level. So what you have to do is say, now that you've raised the stakes, to say you are someone who can be better positioned to see the macro than they can. Why? Because now it's your job. You're not a recruiter, or if you are, you should be doing less and less of that because this is a full-time job, my friends. Full-time job, not even a question. So if you're going to get into it, you have to see the macro picture. One of the ways you get into that is by diving into, and I think I've mentioned this before, um, I think I'm stealing it, so I'm going to credit it, David C. Baker over at uh, the Business of Expertise in the Two Bobs podcast, he references this idea that you can't read the label from the inside of the jar. If you're inside the system, if you're a recruiter, you can't see how you are being perceived by candidates. You, either because you are new to the company or because you're being asked to see a bigger picture, can take on the role of saying, okay, how would someone who doesn't know this company in any way, shape, or form, how would they see it? If they decide to investigate brand X and they do the whole Google and the job postings and the, group and the, the, the Glassdoor and the you know, searching and the LinkedIn dance and who do I know, what would they see? What would they learn? If they look at your career site and your job postings, what would they see? If they look at your Facebook and your Twitter and your Instagram, what would they see? And if they saw all that stuff, what would they take away? Are they getting 400 different messages? Or are they getting aligned messages so there's a clarity of, oh, this is the reason why I should work here? That's not something an individual recruiter, a hiring manager, a recruiting leader can do. You've got to be able to step outside that world and say, everybody else should focus on the internal mechanisms of how getting this job done. However, I am uniquely positioned because I'm new, because I've been tasked with it, whatever, you gotta make it up for yourself. I can't do your whole job for you. You've got to position yourself as someone who comes in as an outsider. Why? Because all of your candidates are outsiders. You can put yourself in their shoes in a way that other recruiters can't. It's simply not possible. I'm checking my notes. 
So one of the things you do to raise the stakes, I'm going to come back to this, I'm bouncing back and forth, is showing hard proof. And of course, in EMBA, it's hard to do. Employer brand, it's tough to get those metrics. Yeah, they're metrics that are vanity metrics. Yeah, they're metrics that are somewhat tangential. There's some ma- metrics that are somewhat systematic. And it's very hard to show the place is on fire. And that's kind of your job. You want to show that off. So one of the things you do is you want to look at, yes, I mean, absolutely. Use your Glassdoor reviews, your indoor reviews, your ratings, your rankings, all the stuff. And yes, I work for a company that provides rankings for a certain number of companies. So yes, I know what I'm saying. Uh, They have value and you can show that you're dropping over time or that you've flattened out and that your competitors are gaining ground or have taken over and lapped you completely. Leveraging the data allows you to make the point that doing the same old, same old is only going to get you more of the same. And more of the same is going nowhere. In fact, it's actually losing ground. As your, as your competitors try new things, roll out new messages, invest in new technologies, invest in new messaging, invest in new conversations, and really try to spell out why working at their company is so amazing and how it supports and benefits the candidate, you doing the same old, same old are going to lose ground every single day. Again, you want to show how you can see this big picture better than anybody else in the company. The only other person who could be able to have that same perspective is the CEO, but they're very busy not doing this job. They have a million other things to do. That's why you are in a position to do this job. You can have an outsider's perspective. You can have an insider's connection so that you can start to do things like, and this is important too, tie together the business, recruiting, HR, comp and Ben, uh, leadership, all those pieces, to, and marketing, comms, all those pieces to say, look, The policies we have in place are supporting or counterproductive to the story we're trying to tell. The the customer service process is actually making it harder for us to hire, hire good people. The products we're selling are engaging on a certain level with these people, and these are the people we want to hire. Let's reach them. Let's set up the stage so that when they consider working for a place, they've already used our products. It sets the stage for having a better conversation with us. That's the job, is to show how you are not beholden to any one of these teams. You are not a recruiter anymore, not really. You're not HR, you're not marketing, you're not comms. You are an outsider because you are having to do the almost impossible job of tying these ideas, these needs, these requirements together in a way that presents and paints an amazing picture for a candidate. Who else is going to do it? Marketing? Marketing's busy talking to a customer who are going to buy the product and walk away. Is it going to be comms? Comms going to talk to only internal people. Is it recruiting? Recruiting has their own flaws and problems on their own. They're lovely people. I adore them. However, everybody brings their own biases to biases to these, right? If you, you know, what's the joke? Uh, to a man with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And of course, the corollary to a person selling hammers: your problems are always nails. Um, they're going to bring their own biases to how to see and solve these problems. If those biases could have solved these problems by now, they would have. That's why you're having to change the strategy. You're having to take a different perspective, a different a, a, a focus on this problem by putting you in that position. This is what it means to raise the stakes, to elevate the value, to show how you are uniquely suited to tell the story, to solve the problems, and solve this bigger issue of the employer brand, the hiring issue. 
This is a far more effective way of getting what you want out of this job and out of this company than trying to soft play it, than fuzzy bunnying it. The more you kind of say, hey, you know, I don't mean to get in the way. I don't mean to be a bother. I don't mean to be a pain in the ass. Go ahead. No, no, no. Be a pain in the ass. You know who's a pain in the ass? The person, the firefighter who's trying to put a fire out, right? No one begrudges the firefighter for smashing the window of the car parked in the fire hydrant to put the hose through the car window, right? No one begrudges that person. You go, well, he's trying to save lives. He can do whatever the heck he wants. The more you elevate and raise the stakes of the employer brand. Hey, if we don't do this stuff, if we don't solve this issue, who the hell is going to want to work for this company ever again? That's when you're able to say, okay, now I can demand budget, I can demand resources, I can call meetings, I can expect people to show up, I can expect people to do what I say, and frankly, engage with me at a level that's actually going to get the work done. It's not about you taking all the credit, it's simply about you saying, look, this is a real problem, and ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away, it makes things worse. And that making things worse hurts everybody at the company. That's your job is to raise the stakes, to make this feel like an urgent burning platform. Sorry, I spent some time in technology. Burning platform kind of situation. If you don't solve it, you're all in trouble. That is a far more effective of getting it done than slow playing it. So hopefully this has been an interesting conversation. I feel like you know, I'm recording this in the afternoon and I'm really caffeinated. Can you tell? Um, so hopefully this was useful. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. If uh, you're big in employer brand, just so you know, it's in the show notes. I do a weekly headlines thing where I'm just saying, hey, here are the articles of the week. Kind of annotate them with why they're useful or when, you know, what I think you could probably ignore or, hey, be careful, this one's coming down the pipe, whatever that is. Uh, it's a weekly thing. It's a no spam thing. So uh, p- uh, click the link in the show notes, sign up, and I just, you know, send you some, some stuff. You can look smart at work, even smarter than you already are. So that said... Thanks so much for listening. Share the podcast. Uh, keep the keep the good work going, and I'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show, or just you know general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.